Good morning. Welcome to another session of the Potter's Roundtable from Washington Street Studios in Bolivar, West Virginia at the confluence of the Potomac and Shenandoah Rivers. I'm Phil Bernberg, and today's topic is what glazed recipes can tell you. Welcome to the Potter's Roundtable, a monthly podcast where we share our passion for the ceramic arts and a collection of topics specific to potters. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. Enjoy the show. Today's topic, what glazed recipes can tell you, is basically about the, the, the possibility of predicting some glazed properties or some glazed performance simply by looking at the glazed recipe. Now we know from some of our previous discussions that one good way to predict glazed performance or to characterize glazed performance is to use the Seeger formula. If you would convert a recipe to a Seeger formula, then you can look at the proportions of the fluxes and the stabilizers and the glass formers, and there are certain limits within which you can predict um, whether what the, temp the firing temperature is and some of the other properties. But a little simpler than that, a lot, if with, with some basic information about or some knowledge about the common glaze ingredients, you can actually look at, at a number of glaze recipes and predict some of the properties or get some information about how the glaze might perform simply by looking at the recipe. One, one qualification on that is it really helps if the recipe is in the weight percent format rather than the parts. That way, if everything's in weight percent and you're comparing recipes, it's all sort of all on the common basis. So we're going to be looking at, at, at recipe characteristics, things that you can see in the recipe, and then how they might influence certain glazed properties. So for example, the one thing you could see simply by looking at the recipe is the type of flux. Is it sodium, is it potassium, is it calcium, or whatever? And then the type of flux, just by itself, can have an effect on the firing temperature, it can affect the color response, the possibility of glazing, whether or not the glaze might craze or not whether it might have a glossy or a satin texture. Now these aren't going to be exact predictions, but these are going to give you some clues as to what the, the glaze might do. And then you can have a mix of fluxes, for example. If you look at it, you say, well, you know, it isn't just mostly a sodium flux, it's a sodium and a lot of calcium. So that's going to be different, and that can have an effect on things such as the width of the firing range. And then just the amounts of fluxes. Is there a lot of flux in the glaze relative to the other, the other ingredients, or, or very little? That can also have the effect. And then there's the amounts of the stabilizer, the amount of the silica, unusual ingredients that you look at the recipe and you go, whoa, what the heck is that stuff? Well, you know, it might have a particular unusual property for the, for the glaze, so we're gonna look at that. And then potentially unself, unsafe ingredients. Again, you might look at the glaze and, and if it contains 40% lead, you know, there's something, you know, you wanna be careful about that glaze. So we're gonna be talking about all of these, these, these um, characteristics and we'll be looking at examples of specific glaze recipes that highlight some of these. Okay, so first let's, let's do a little review though of just some of the terminology and discussion of, of, of glazes. First of all, and I've referred to it already, but remember that when you're talking about the Seeger formula or the Seeger description of a glaze, the, the ingredients or the components of the glaze are basically broken down into the three categories of the fluxes and the stabilizers and the glass formers. The fluxes are the materials that help everything melt. The stabilizers, which are mostly aluminum oxide, are what help keep the glaze from being too runny when it's, when it's, when it's melted. And finally, the glass formers, and this is really the bulk of the, of the, gla the glaze. Um, Silica is the primary glass former that we're dealing with, and all our glazes are basically silicates of some kind or another. They're predominantly silica plus some other stuff. 
So if we look at the if we look at the, um, the at these these next characteristics, so that we've got when you, and now we're talking about the oxides because when you talk about the composition of a glaze, not the recipe, but the composition of the final glaze, it's it's standard practice to talk about it in terms of the the chemical oxides that compose the material. And an oxide is simply a metal, it's a compound, and it's a metal of, it's a compound of a metal plus some oxygen. So, so that when we look at the Seeger categories, and this is, this is the contribution that Hermann Seeger made to the chemistry of glazes. He realized that this is the way you can describe a glaze. So you have the fluxes, and the, again, I'm all talking about oxides. So you have the alkali metals, so this is, and I've, and I've left the word oxide off of here, but each one of these should be followed by oxide. So in the alkali metals, you have lithium oxide, sodium, and potassium. And these, this alkali metals, that's a, that's a chemical term by looking at the periodic table. And the alkaline earths, this is another group that, that chemists have labeled. So this com is composed of magnesium, calcium, strontium, and barium. And then finally, in the flux column, you also have zinc. Zinc oxide is the flux. Boron oxide is the flux. And actually, lead oxide would also go here, but I haven't included it because, in general, now most people, we're not, we're not using lead oxide in most cases for our glazes. The stabilizers, the main stabilizer is going to be aluminum oxide. And then the glass formers, again, the main glass former is going to be silicon oxide, or more properly, silicon dioxide, SiO2, which is silica. And then, but also there are minor glass formers. Boron oxide actually forms a glass. Titanium oxide can form a glass, and phosphorus oxide can form a glass. These are not; these don't comprise the bulk of a glaze. They're sort of additions, and they create some special effects in the glaze. But our glazes are mostly silicon, um, silicon oxide or silicon dioxide. So these oxides, when they're present in the glaze, depending on what they are, these determine the actual final properties of the glaze. And it's the glaze ingredients that you see in the recipe that provide these oxides. The minerals, the, the, the rocks, the powdered rock, like nepheline cyanide, for example, is a powdered rock and a very common glaze ingredient, and the chemicals. So the raw materials, the, 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 the glaze ingredients, provide those oxides. And then, so, we, so basically what, you, what we have is we have a recipe with glaze ingredients and the glaze ingredients contain various oxides. And then when we combine the ingredients to make a glaze, all the oxides from all the ingredients combine and make up the final glaze. So the other thing that's kind of interesting is that some of these, some of these now we're talking about recipe ingredients. I make the distinction, I like to make the distinction between components and ingredients, just to keep it separate. The oxides are the components of the final glaze. The ingredients are what you put in to make the glaze in the recipe. And they're not the same because the ingredients contain some of the components. Okay? So now if we look at some of the recipe, the ingredients that you'd see in a recipe, some of the, some of the ingredients, the material that we use, let's say it's a powdered rock, might, its, its primary contribution to the glaze might simply be a flux. So this is true, for instance, of whiting. Whiting is, is, calcium, is calcium carbonate. So it's, it's, it's only giving us that flux, calcium oxide. Dolomite is calcium magnesium carbonate, so it's only giving us a flux. Wood ash contains a lot of materials, but basically the main reason why we use wood ash or any kind of wood ash is to provide fluxes. Soda ash, of course, is, is for, simply for sodium carbonate, and the borates also. Most of the borates or boron compounds, a lot of them, like some of the fritz, for instance, for instance or gerstli borate, are mostly calcium borate. 
So they're still giving us mostly fluxes. They're giving us calcium and they're giving us boron, both of which are fluxes. Now, but some of the other ingredients in a recipe provide more than just one, one, uh, one um, component. And this is, these are some examples. For instance, potash feldspar, this is an approximate formula for potash feldspar. That's potassium oxide, aluminum oxide, and six molecules of silica. And so in this case, it's giving me the potassium oxide, so the arrows are indicating that it's basically spanning all three categories. So the potassium oxide, that's a flux. The alumina it's, it contains is a stabilizer, and it's giving us a, a fair amount of silica, which is a glass former. And nepheline cyanide, also another very similar, now this is a mineral, potash feldspar. Nepheline cyanide is actually a rock. So I didn't put exact proportions here of the ingredients because it can vary. Nepheline cyanide contains several minerals. It's a rock, and so it doesn't have a fixed composition. And so you can't, it's hard to write a, a, a a, a specific formula for nepheline cyanide, depending on the, but it, we know it contains these elements. So it contains sodium and potassium, which are fluxes, and aluminum oxide again, and silica again. And then spodumene, this is another mineral, and we use this one primarily, for instance, and all of these, matter of fact, we, we use most of these three because of the fluxes they contribute. We use potash feldspar because we want the potassium oxide, but we get these other two components. And we use nepheline cyanide because it contains a lot of sodium primarily, but it, it gives us those other things. This is true also for spodumene. The main reason why we use spodumene is because it's a good source of the flux lithium oxide, but it also contains some aluminum oxide and some silica. Okay? And then just two more examples. Talc, for instance, is magnesium silicate. And so in this case, it gives us the magnesium oxide, which is a flux, but it also gives us some silica, which is why it's included over here. And the clay, any clay that we add to a glazer, has to be ball clay or EPK or kaolin, gives us aluminum oxide and silica. And silica, as, as a glazed ingredient, only gives us silica. So in that, in that respect, the silica is kind of analogous to the whiting. The whiting only gives us the one flux calcium oxide, the silica only gives us the one glass former silica, okay? Okay, now one other point to make here is that one of the reasons why we have, you, you, sometimes when you look at glazed recipes, we have a long list of different glazed ingredients is because different ingredients, now we're talking about ingredients, not, not the, the components at the end. Different ingredients have different properties such as, let's say, for example, the melting temperature, even for the same oxide. So for example, sodium carbonate, which is a source of sodium oxide, melts at a very low temperature. It melts in the range of cone O14 to O12, which is about oh, 1,565 degrees Fahrenheit, very low. So the feldspar, which is another source of sodium, melts above cone six, and ferrofrit 3110, which is a fairly common frit melts in the range of cone 07. So here we have three different possible sources of sodium that we use, three different possible ingredients, sodium carbonate, soda ash, soda feldspar, ferrofrit 3110. We might use any one of those or more in a glazed recipe, but they, even, though, even though they're mostly giving us sodium, they actually have different properties themselves. So the choice of the ingredient is going to affect the way the glaze behaves, even if it's giving us the same flux, okay? So some fluxes are active. We, can, we, can, we talk sometimes about low temperature fluxes and high temperature fluxes in a general way because we know that different fluxes become active 
at different temperatures. And we'll, we'll bring that in later on. We'll talk about how we can look at a recipe and say, well, that's a low temperature flux, so it's probably a low temperature glaze, okay? Okay, so knowing, knowing the, if we know a little something about the composition and the functions of various ingredients, and this, this will take a little bit of maybe review to, to look over some of these ingredients and to find, you know, to learn how does, how does this ingredient behave? To know, for example, that potash feldspar melts at a fairly high temperature. And once you know that, then you, and you look at a recipe, then you can, you can recognize you know, what maybe it's contributing to the glaze. But I can look at a recipe, and I can say, just looking at the recipe, I can say, well, what are the ingredients of the recipe? What are they? And how much is there of each ingredient? And what do I know about those ingredients that are present? Is there anything missing from the recipe? I know, for instance, to be a successful glaze, I need fluxes and stabilizers and glass formers. So if I look at a recipe and I say, well, I don't see much silica, what does that tell me about how the glaze might behave? If you'd like to see a video version of this presentation, just head out to YouTube and search for Washington Street Studios. So let's look at some different categories of glazes, uh, different glazes and some different categories, and we'll, look, we'll follow the organization of that first list that we put up about the, the glaze, the recipe characteristics. So let's start with the type of flux. So the type of flux um, indicate this, and this, now we're gonna look at the, the, the effect of the flux on the firing temperature. So here's a recipe, and I, these are recipes that I've taken from the literature, primarily from ceramic magazines that have been published in the last, oh, five or 10 years. And in some cases I've modified the name because the name gave away the secret that I wanted to talk about. So they, they, the glazes are more, in some cases are anonymous, like this one. So here's a glaze recipe, and, it, and I'm just calling it green, but it, it was green something or other. So it contains whiting, 34%, custard feldspar, 46%, and EPK, 20%. And then the additives are copper carbonate, 5%. Remember, this is the format that, the best format to write a glaze recipe. This is the base glaze up here, and then these are the additives, the, the things that modify it, change color, maybe make it opaque, but they really don't contribute in a major way to the way the glaze melts or the way the glaze cools or how runny it is. They're sort of, they're sort of just little slight tweaks on the glaze properties. So one of the things we can look at this recipe right away and say, well, and again, I'm, I'm gonna be bringing in some characteristics here that you may not know yet, but this is why, this is how you can learn them and this is how they, they can, you can use them. So we know that whiting in general is a fairly high temperature flux. The, remember early on we, we talked about, when we looked at the list we had alkali metals and alkaline earths. Well, the alkali metals, lithium, sodium, potassium, are generally low temperature fluxes. And the alkaline earths, magnesium, calcium, strontium, barium, in general, are higher temperature fluxes. So when I look at this recipe, I see whiting 34%. That's a lot of whiting. And that's, we know that's a fairly high temperature flux. Custer feldspar, we know, melts at fairly high temperatures. And so right away I can say that this is probably a cone 10 recipe. This is, this is definitely not a low temperature glaze because it doesn't have anything that melts at low temperature. So it's probably, it's probably a cone 10, it's probably not even cone six because custard feldspar melts well above where cone, the cone six range. So this is probably um, a cone 10 glaze. The other thing I can look at is, remember we talked about the three categories of ingredients. Well, I've got, I've got fluxes, whiting and custard feldspar. I've got stabilizer coming from the clay. Where's my silica? And so I would say, well, we, remember there is some silica coming from custard feldspar and there is some coming from EPK, 
but maybe not a lot. So again, by looking at this recipe, I could sort of guess and say, well, and this would be a guess, but it's an educated guess, is that maybe if there isn't that much silica, then maybe this is not gonna be a very glassy glaze, which means that maybe it's going to be a matte glaze. And in fact, all of those properties I just described are what this glaze, are the way this glaze behaves. All of these recipes we're gonna be presenting here, I know how they come out. So what I'm, I'm sort of showing you the reverse way. I'm showing you what they might be like, and then I can confirm, yes, that's what they're like, okay? The other thing here is that with, if this is a matte glaze, now this, beside the fact that this, now we can say that this is probably a cone 10 glaze, and it's also probably a matte glaze, is copper carbonate 5% is fairly high as far as copper additions go. Typically, something around 3% or less, if it's a reasonable glaze, you can say it's probably a safe amount. But because this is 5% and also it's a matte glaze, it's probably not food safe. So just looking at this recipe, I can, I, can, I can determine those things. It's probably a cone 10 glaze, it's probably matte, and it may not, may, very likely may not be food safe with, because it's matte and because of that amount of, of copper carbonate in it. Okay? Okay, we, we're continuing now with the type of flux and the, and the firing temperature. So let's, let's, let's go to the next one. This is another, this is recipe number green, which is very different from number one green, okay? So here we have whiting, similar ingredients. So we have whiting, but much less, 8%, custer, feldspar, 60, silica, but now we have zinc oxide. So all those comments that I made before about these being higher temperature fluxes, but now we've got zinc oxide, and zinc oxide is a lower temperature flux. And that's a reasonable amount, 16%. So just looking at that, I could probably guess, and also the custer feldspar has increased from the, previous, from the previous one. The previous one was lower. So I've got more custer feldspar, and now I've got a new flux, a lower temperature flux. So looking at this, I might guess that, you know, this may not be a cone 10 recipe. This is more likely a cone five or a cone six recipe. And in fact, it is. Um, and now the additives in this case, since it didn't affect directly the melt, this, this melt, the firing temperature, nickel carbonate was an additive and rutile. I didn't specify the percentages because they really didn't have any, that, that wouldn't have any direct influence on what we just talked about. But it's, it's the presence of this lower temperature flux. Zinc oxide is a really good strong flux at cone six temperature. So the presence of that and more of this, I say, well, that's probably, that's probably not a cone 10 recipe. One of the other features also is that if you heat zinc oxide high enough, you can actually cook it out of the glaze. So in, logically, there'd be no reason to have a lot of zinc oxide in a cone 10 glaze because you'd bake it out of the glaze anyway. So that, altogether, that suggests that this is more likely a cone five or a cone six, and it is. Okay, and I think there's one more that I wanted to talk about in this category. Yeah, one more for temperature. Let's go to the next one. This is cone six woo yellow. And again, okay, let's look at, now we're looking, let's look at the fluxes again. Dolomite, strontium carbonate, nepheline cyanide, and then we've got kaolin and silica. So again, dolomite is calcium magnesium carbonate. That is not a very powerful low temperature flux. That tends to be classified more as a higher temperature flux because it takes a lot of temperature, a lot of heat to activate it, to make something happen. Strontium carbonate is, so, is, a, is a fairly high temperature flux, and nepheline cyanide is kind of a middle, 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 middle range temp, like cone six kind of thing, but there's nothing low. There's no low temperature fluxes. So also the fact that dolomite doesn't contain any silica, strontium carbonate contains no silica, nepheline cyanide and kaolin do, 
But the added silica is relatively low, 9%. That's not a lot. So I can look at this and I can say, you know, this is probably, this is probably, um, this, this, oh, actually, yeah, this is, this is quoted as cone six, cone 6 yellow, but this is probably not actually a cone 6 glaze because there is not enough low temperature fluxes in here to make this melt, really melt, at, at, at cone 6. Nepheline cyanide at cone 6 doesn't really get liquid and runny. It softens and it sort of melts, but it stays kind of thick and gooey. So it doesn't get really runny. And with dolomite, strontium carbonate, and, this, and clay and silica, this is not going to be very runny. So this is not, despite what it's called, this is not a really good cone 6 glaze. It's probably a cone 10 glaze for it to actually flow out and become a usable glaze. The other thing is, if you did fire it at cone 6, it's probably going to be very chalky, which means that it's going to be under-fired. So maybe, maybe they're calling it a cone 6 glaze, and they want it to be, have this chalky, dull look, but it certainly wouldn't be a safe glaze, at least if you had some ingredient in it like copper or something that could leach out. The other thing, some other comments, so I would say more likely, if you really wanted this to be a, a really nice sort of normal looking glaze and not powdery looking or chalky looking, it's probably more, it would probably work a lot better at cone 10. The other thing, we can look at some of the other ingredients. Zircopax, that's an opacifier. Zircopax is zirconium silicate. And remember, an opacifier is something that's not supposed to dissolve in the glaze, which is contrary to what we normally want. When we're making a glaze, we want all the different ingredients to combine, melt and combine, and essentially dissolve in the glass. But, a zir but opacifiers are an exception. We don't want them to dissolve in the glass because we don't want them to go away. We want them to float around in the glaze and, and change the appearance of the glaze. But the, the, the main thing I noticed looking at this is that's a ridiculous amount of Zircopax. To make a glaze opaque, that just to make it a, like an, an, a Zircopax will make the glaze white, basically opaque white. You don't need more than 10%. So now unless this is trying to, and what this would do with this amount of Zircopax and these not melting well at cone six, you'd have a really chalky looking glaze. And so I'm not sure, I'm not sure what that would accomplish. The other thing I'm concerned about is by looking at this, with that amount of Zircopax, it might make the glaze crawl. Because when you add an opacifier, remember an, an, an opacifier is just chunks of something floating around the glaze that don't want to melt. They don't want to do anything. And so if I have a lot of an opacifier in a glaze, it tends to make it sort of less fluid. And if the glaze, when it melts, if it's less fluid, it's a little more likely to crawl then. If there's some other reason, let's say a, a dusty surface or something that could tend to want to make it crawl, if you have a, not, a, a less fluid glaze, something sort of thicker, it's, it crawls more easily. So this might, I can't say for sure, but it might make the glaze crawl um, when, it, when, you, when you fire it. Okay. So let's change, now let's look at that. So that was, those are the, 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 how the type of flux indicates the firing temperature. Now let's look at color response. So this is another, this is called Cone 6 Odyssey Blue. And here again, the ingredients, Gerstle borate, which is mostly calcium and boron, whiting, calcium carbonate, nepheline cyanide, which we use primarily for sodium, and EPK again, and silica. Now, one of the things that just looking at this, Gerstle borate is calcium and boron and calcium and sodium. It's, it is known that, uh, that this combination is very good for bright colors. It, it promotes good color response. So by looking at this glaze, and this, this probably is a cone six glaze because I've got Gerstle borate 20%, nepheline cyanide. So I've got, I've got a, low, a lot of low temperature flux and some medium temperature flux. 
and, and plenty of silica. So this is probably a nice, you know, glassy glaze at cone six. I don't question that. But the only comment I wanted to point out with this mix of fluxes, the calcium boron, the calcium oxide, and the sodium, it probably gives a nice color response. So this is probably a nice glaze, a nice base glaze, to add colorants to to get some vivid colors. Okay? Um, okay, let's go to the next one then. This is, this is called, uh, chun, this is just a chun base, cone six. Now I've got whiting, zinc oxide, F4 feldspar, that's a soda feldspar. That's an old, it's no longer available, but it's soda feldspar, Kentucky ball clay and silica. Now, the one, the, the, the clue here is, if I'm, if I'm thinking in terms of color response, zinc oxide changes the way certain colorants affect the glaze. So I can't, I, in contrast to the previous glaze, there are gonna be some colorants that I can put in here that are, that are not gonna respond well. And the biggest, the biggest one is zinc, is with the zinc oxide, um, I'm gonna get, for instance, if I add chromium, instead of getting green, I'm gonna get brown. So this is one reason why you may see even commercial glazes or recipes, they're promoted as zinc-free. Because the presence of zinc, zinc is a great flux, and it helps it melt, but it does influence the way certain colorants respond. And, and the classic one with zinc oxide is chromium. It, it, it's brown. Some of the other colors may be okay. So that just, that's a clue when I look at this. If I was thinking about, I wanted to find a base to add colorants to, the minute I saw that, I thought, well, that may limit my choice of colorants. Okay? Okay. So let's, go, let's look at another, another characteristic. This is now, let's, this is the possibility of crazing. This is where I'm gonna, this is, I'm gonna look for you know, how this might affect it. So here are my ingredients again. Grossly borate, ferrofrit 3110. 3110 is a, is, a, is a high sodium frit, and it melts by itself at cone 07. So remember I mentioned before how different sources of different ingredients can melt at different temperatures. This is a cone six glaze, but I've got a lot of an ingredient in it that melts at 07 a very low temperature, and I've got EPK and silica. Well, and then additives, I've got copper carbonate and bentonite to keep it in suspension, because I've got very low, in this case, for example, the fact that I've got very low clay, and I've got a lot of frit, frit is powdered glass, and they tend to settle out like crazy in a glaze. So I'm gonna need something to keep it in suspension, so that's the reason for the bentonite, is because I don't have enough clay by itself to keep all of this other stuff in suspension. But when I look at this with this, though it's 3110, I can almost guarantee that this glaze is going to craze. Because there are certain elements, remember the crazing is dependent upon the coefficients of expansion and whether the glaze contracts a lot more or a lot less than the clay body when it cools down. Well, there are two elements in particular that we know have a strong effect on that, and they're sodium and potassium. And when you have a lot of sodium in a glaze or a lot of potassium, they make the glaze have a high coefficient of expansion, which means that when it cools down, it's gonna shrink a lot. So with this amount of 3110, this glaze is gonna to wanna to contract a lot when it cools, and I was guaranteed that this glaze is gonna craze a lot. Okay, just by looking at the huge amount, because I know a lot of sodium and, a, and a, a huge amount of it, it's probably gonna craze. Which means that if you're, now even though the carbonate is low, because it's crazing, it may also not be food safe. Because when, I, when the glaze crazes, it opens up all these cracks in these other areas where now this material could possibly, not definitely, but possibly leach out of the glaze. So it may not be food safe because of the crazing. Okay? Okay, let's go to another one. 
This is this this was just I'm just calling this a cone six celadon base. Ingredients: Gersley borate, whiting, nepheline cyanite, silica, and again copper carbonate and bentonite. Now in this case, instead of 3110, I've got nepheline cyanite, and I've got a lot of it. Well, nepheline cyanite is a powdered rock, and the main reason why we use it is because it contributes sodium to the glaze. So once again, this glaze is going to craze. I can almost guarantee it because Gersley borate is giving me a little bit. This is giving me some calcium. That's giving me some calcium. That's a lot on nepheline cyanite. So there's a really strong possibility that that glaze is going to craze. Okay? Thanks for watching this video. Please like, subscribe, and share it with your friends. And consider becoming a patron of our channel. Visit www.patreon.com and search for the Potter's Roundtable. Any amount you give will support the creation of a digital library of educational videos and podcasts to support artists, potters, and educators now and into the future. If you would like more information about our membership studio, classes, events, and multimedia productions at Washington Street Studios, visit our website at www.hfclay.com. Okay. And finally, here's, here's another recipe. This is just, I'm just calling this again a cone six base. Ferrofrit 3110, there's that high sodium frit again. 3134. 3134 is just is kind of a, the, the substitute for Gersley borate. Chemically, it's very similar to Gersley borate. G200 feldspar, that's a potash feldspar. Whiting, strontium carbonate, EPK, and silica. And again, I've got, I've got a lot of 3110, and I've got a lot of potassium now in the, in the feldspar. So again, this glaze is, is very likely going to craze because of, of the sodium there, and a lot of the potassium here, there's a really strong chance it's going to craze. And in fact, it does. Okay, and now this one, now let's, this is the property we're looking at here is, we're going to be looking at is the possibility, or how, how might, what can we determine in terms of the texture of the glaze by looking at the recipe. So here's a cone six base, wollastonite. Wollastonite is a mineral, it's a calcium silicate. And ferrofrit 3124, that's basically a calcium borate. EPK and silica, pretty simple, you know, pretty simple recipe. But this is where a little chemistry comes in because I've got I've got calcium silicate here in the wollaston, and I've got calcium and I've got calcium here, and I've got aluminum oxide, a lot of aluminum oxide coming from the clay. What I can actually form when this when this material melts and then if it and then melts and combines and cools, I can form calcium aluminate, which is a, a kind of feldspar and it, it's, it, it's very likely to form crystals. So this glaze is probably going to be a satin glaze. Given it, if I cool it slowly enough, I got a lot of calcium coming from here, a lot of calcium coming from here, and a lot of aluminum oxide coming from here, and silica. Well, there's a, there's a kind of feldspar called anorthite, which forms crystals very readily. And so with, with this composition, I can look at it and say, it's probably, if I cool it slowly enough, it's probably going to be a, a satiny uh, because it's going to form these little tiny crystals when it cools. It's probably going to be a satiny glaze, and it is. Okay? All right, let's look at another character. Let's look at the mix of fluxes now, the different kinds of fluxes. So, and see what, and see what we can tell from that. Okay, so if I look, here's a recipe, cone six, water blue. 
And here's Gersley Borey, 6%, 3110. Remember, we looked at, we looked at this before, this, this recipe. 3110, EPK silica, copper carbonate. Now, in this case, you can look at this and say, well, here's, you know, here's my fluxes, stabilizer, and glass former. I've got mostly one flux. I don't have a lot, of different, a lot of different elements. I've got a little bit of calcium from here, but it's mostly sodium coming from here. And what that means is this is probably going to have a fairly narrow firing range. The, the 3110 frit actually melts at cone 07. So it means when this, when, this glaze, when this powdered glaze is heated up, and when it gets to 07, a lot of the ingredients are going to start to melt. And it doesn't have a series of fluxes that as the temperature goes up, one flux will become active, and then as the temperature is increased, another flux will become active. That's the ideal situation, where you have a series of fluxes that each one sort of gradually comes in as the temperature goes up, and so you end up with a broad response to the temperature, or broad firing range. This one really primarily has one flux, so what it means is it's gonna have a narrow firing range, which also suggests that it's gonna be easily overfired. You overfire it, you don't, have any, you don't have any higher temperature fluxes that are sort of becoming active. It's all becoming active at the same time. So it's probably gonna have a narrow firing range, and it does. Okay, and here's another one. Here's another example of a recipe. This is called Layman Blue. Now, this is called, this was considered a 910. And so let's look at it. Well, it's got dolomite, which is, again, calcium magnesium carbonate, Gerstle borate, strontium carbonate, whiting, which is calcium carbonate, nepheline cyanide. So we've got five fluxes plus EPK. That's our stabilizer. Not a lot, but, but we're getting some alumina from there and some aluminum from, well, I guess that's the main source, and silica. So the point here is that this has a wide range of fluxes. I've got calcium and magnesium, and I've got calcium from here, and boron, and I've got strontium from here, and more calcium and more sodium. So I've got a whole range of fluxes, which is, which is actually a good feature for a glitch. So this is probably gonna have a fairly wide firing range, and it does. And they're calling it nine to 10, it probably actually could be maybe even a little wider than that. But I can, just because I've got all these different fluxes, that, that this is a high temperature flux, this is a low temperature flux. This is kind of mid-range to high, this is high, this is mid-range. So I've got these range of fluxes, which means that it's not gonna all of a sudden melt when it gets up to one temperature. It's gonna get a little softer and a little softer and a little softer, which is, which is more controlled behavior. So this, is, this would indicate a, probably a wider range, and they're suggesting that even in the title, although I think it might, it might even be wider than that. Okay? One other thing to look at is that because the clay is so low, if we look at, now where are stable, where's our stabilizer coming from? Well, nothing in there, not much in there, nothing in there, nothing in there, a little bit, maybe some aluminum oxide there, but not a huge amount of aluminum oxide. So what does that suggest? that this, might, this glaze might be, tend to be a little runny, especially when you get to some of the higher temperatures. It might flow a little bit. Well, it does, okay, because it doesn't have that much stabilizer in it. And finally, the last comment you could look at is even if we look at the additives, rutile, one of the things that rutile does for a glaze is it gives it sort of this, can give it this variegated sort of watery appearance to it. So it's sort of a mottled appearance, or I call it variegated, because when you have the other colorants in it, the cobalt and the, and the iron oxide, it can make it almost look like marbled, and it does. So looking at the rutile with that, I can say it's probably gonna have that very, and the other colorants, it'll probably be sort of a, 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 a not so bright blue with a little bit of a variegated, a marbled appearance coming from the rutile. Okay? Okay. So let's go on to the next one.
Now we're gonna talk about the amount of fluxes and how, what, what the amount, just the amounts of fluxes can indicate. And the first, the first category would be sort of temperature stability. What does it tell us about it? So here's, here's a cone six clear, Ferrofrit 3195, and that's sodium, calcium, boron, and alumina. And that generally, and these are listed in sort of decreasing order. So it's a lot of calcium, a little less, a, a lot of sodium, a little less calcium, a little less boron, a little less alumina. EPK, well, astonite, that's our calcium silicate again, and silica, okay? So there's a lot of 70% of a boron frit, a lot of boron frit, not a whole lot of clay, a little bit of calcium, a little bit of silica. And what this suggests is, that now I'm, what I'm, when I'm looking at this, I'm, what, when I look at one frit, I say, well, again, that one frit is gonna melt, at, this melts, by the way, at about 05, cone 05. So I've got a glaze with a lot of one flux that melts at 05. And so what that suggests is, well, it's probably gonna have a narrow firing range which also means that it's not gonna be very stable. If I, can, I can probably overfire it and it'll boil and bubble, and it does. Because I can just overcook it. This is a low temperature flux, and so if I, to 05, and if I take it up to cone six, it's gonna, it could very easily be overfired, and this is where you get bubbling and blistering of, blistering of the glaze, because I've got only that one flux, okay? So I'm gonna end up with bubbles probably in pinholes in the glaze, okay? And then here's another glaze, lithium matte. Lithium carbonate, 70%, bentonite, 15%. That's a huge amount of bentonite, right? right. You know, you're probably used to the fact by now, or you should be, that typically in a glaze, you, in general, you don't want more than about 2% bentonite. If you do, if you need more than 2%, something else needs to be adjusted. Something's, going, something's a little strange. But anyway, 15% bentonite, borax. Borax is sodium borate. It's, this is the same borax that you use as a water softener in your laundry, by the way. You know, 20 mule team borax, there it is. 10% and custard feldspar 5%. This is kind of a strange glaze. Um, lithium is a really powerful flux at low temperatures, and custer is a, really is a fairly powerful flux only at high temperatures. And they're, call and they're not telling you what this is, but if I just look at this glaze, this is probably gonna be, at low temperatures, it's probably gonna be kind of crusty, like at 06, because I don't have much, the, the borax is gonna melt, but I don't have a huge amount of it. I got a lot of this gooey clay in here and this, so it's probably gonna be crusty at cone six. And at cone five, for example, it's probably, got, with, the lithium, with that amount of lithium carbonate, it's gonna be runny, it's gonna run all over the place. And it does. The other thing is that with this amount of bentonite, I don't know, where some of these recipes come from, because with this amount of bentonite in it, it's, it's almost guaranteed to crawl. And the problem with having a lot of bentonite in a glaze recipe is bentonite holds a lot of water. And so when the glaze is, is applied to the piece and it dries, it shrinks a lot. And it shrinks a lot, and when it shrinks, it cracks and it tends to move the glaze a little bit across the surface of the piece and weaken the bond, and it really promotes crawling. So with that amount of bentonite, I almost guarantee that it's gonna crawl. So it's going to be so. If the, if you don't know what this what this firing temperature is, I think it's supposed to be a cone six glaze, um, but at, it's going to be matte at, at earthenware temperatures. It's going to be crusty. At cone six, it's probably going to be runny, and it's also going to crawl. So I'm not sure where you'd use this glaze. <laughs> okay, another glaze, Longchuan Celadon. 
cone 9 to 10, whiting, custer, EPK silica. This is a classic, this is something that's good to recognize in glaze. This is a classic glaze proportion. This is what's called the classic 4321 glaze, approximately. So you've got custer feldspar 40, in the 40% range, silica 25, but let's call that 3. So this is 4, 3, 2, 1. So it's roughly 40, 30, 20, 10%. And this is a very, the nice thing is about this, when you have those proportions of these ingredients with custard feldspar in the 40% range, silica in the 30-ish, give or take some, and so forth, this is a really stable glaze. It has a fairly wide fire, it has a nice balance of ingredients, the proportions are good, uh, and so you're gonna, you'll actually see this a lot, you'll see a lot of variations on this, and so it's interesting if you look at a recipe and you go, oh, look at that, it's kind of 4321 with the flux and then the silica and then another lesser flux and the clay. You can almost guarantee that it's probably going to be a fairly stable glaze. And so this is true. This is, this is the classic. This is the same 4321 glaze that Barnard Leach promoted. It's Lung Chuan, which is a Chinese, uh, Chinese glaze, and it's an ancient recipe. And this is, this is one of the recipes that Bernard Leach popularized that he learned from, from China and Japan, this, this, these proportions, okay? So just looking at that, I could probably say nine to 10. I, I could look at this and say, well, Whiting and Custer Feldspar are high temperature fluxes. So it's, it's, not a, it's not a cone six glaze. But knowing that it's the 4321, I can almost guarantee that it's gonna be a nice stable glaze, um, fairly wide firing range, um, just because of those proportions. So next time, if you look at a recipe that has, that has mostly four ingredients or four ingredients, keep in mind this 4321 proportion thing because it, it tells you something about the glaze, okay? All right, let's look at the amount of stabilizer now. This is, this is, a, this is called Contain Moon Celadon, contains whiting, Kona F4 feldspar, that's that sodium feldspar again, silica, bentonite and barnard clay. Barnard clay is a high iron and manganese clay that's usually used as a source of colorants, really. It's, it's a clay, but it's, it's a, it, has, it has other impurities in it, so it's often added just to color a glaze, less, less so than the fact that it's a clay, okay? Well, if you look at this, if I, and again, I think about my three categories of ingredients. I've got fluxes in whiting, I've got a flux in the Kona feldspar, that's gonna be sodium, and I've got silica. Where's my stabilizer? Well, there is gonna be some aluminum oxide in the feldspar, but not a huge amount. And I've only got, I've only got five and a half percent clay. So, so that's one thing, I don't have much stabilizer. The other thing is Kona feldspar, that's a soda feldspar again, and 50%. Now one of the other properties that sodium contributes to a glaze is it tends to deflocculate the glaze meaning that the glaze tends to settle out and form that concrete on the bottom of the bucket. So the fact that this has low clay and high sodium means it's gonna, it's gonna settle out like crazy in the bucket. So this is not gonna be, when I look at this glaze, and I can say, this, is, this may be a great glaze, but it's not gonna be very stable in the bucket. It's gonna settle out because the, the sodium's gonna make it flock, deflocculate and it doesn't even have much clay to keep it in suspension. So it's not gonna be a very stable glaze. Okay, let's look, now here's another, here's another category. This is, this, is, this is a fairly common recipe, cone six eggshell glaze. Whiting, ferrofrit 3124, a lot of frit, custard feldspar, EPK silica, and then the additives, tin oxide, red iron oxide, and bentonite. 
Well, first of all, one of the things I look, when I just look at this glaze quickly, I say, that's a fair amount of bentonite, 7.5%. That's a lot. And as we just talked about before, the bentonite, when you causes a lot of shrinkage when it dries, so there's a good chance that this glaze is going to crawl with that much bentonite in it. And I know from personal experience, we've used it in our studio here, it does. Um, the other thing is it has a lot of frit in it. And again, this 3124 melts at cone 05, which means that when this recipe gets up to just to 05, a big part of the, almost half of this glaze is going to want to start to melt. And so what this suggests is that if I combine this glaze with other glazes, it can affect the other glazes because it's going to start to melt and I can start to get reactions with the other glazes. Like if I overlap this over another glaze or glaze over this. So I can, and we found this recently, a good example with several of other glazes in the studio. When I put them over eggshell, I get, it causes the, the other glaze to run because I'm combining this early flux with the fluxes in the other glaze. And if I end up with a lot of low temperature fluxes, some, I'll get some running. And so we found that happened also. So, so this, this, I can look at this and say, well, you know, this might, be, this might influence other glazes, and I, there's a good chance it's going to crawl. Okay? Okay. And another glaze here. Shiny clear. Now, let's see. Let's go to the next one here. Is that, was that? Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, I, I missed that one. Sorry. Sorry about that. Shiny clear. Consec, this is a really simple recipe. It shows that a recipe doesn't have to be um, complicated to be a recipe. It also doesn't have to be good to be a recipe. Gersley borate 50%, silica 32 and EPK. Again, now this looks, this actually will give you a nice shiny clear glaze. The problem is, and this is where it helps to know something about the ingredients, Gersley borate actually contains a lot of clay. It contains a lot of sort of clay that's sort of like bentonite. And we go, uh-oh, I've got Half of, my, half of my, my ingredients is this Gersley port that contains a lot of clay. So I can say, well, is there a good chance that this is going to crawl? Yes, and it does. It's a nice glaze. If it doesn't crawl, it makes a nice, glassy, clear, shiny, true to its name glaze. But it's a good chance, in, especially if it's applied a little on the thick side, it's going to crawl because of the, the bentonite that's hidden in the Gersley borate. Okay, titanium white, cone 10 to 11. Ingredients, bone ash. Bone ash is calcium phosphate. And by the way, and bone ash used to be produced literally by, by burning um, cattle bones. Um, and because the main ingredient that came out of the ash or the residue was calcium phosphate, now it's all produced synthetically and chemically. Talc is magnesium silicate, whiting, custard feldspar, EPK and silica. So I've got fluxes, this is calcium phosphate, talc, which is magnesium silicate. So I've got flux, 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 and there's my, there's my stabilizer, and there's my glass form. So, but now again, when I look at this, I can go, well, okay, I've got all these fluxes. That's not a lot of clay, okay? I've got a lot of fluxes, 32%, so that's 42, 52, almost 60% fluxes, a lot of fluxes, and a lot of silica, which is good, not a lot of clay. So what does that say? Well, it's probably going to run. And it does, okay? So it's, it's probably going to be, and titanium oxide, that's another opacifier. It's going to make it opaque white or, or milky white anyway. But when you get up to the cone to 10 or 11, with this, with that, not, with not, not very much silica, I mean, not very much aluminum, it's probably going to run. It's probably going to be a more, considered a more fluid glaze, and it is. Okay, now we're going, this is the one we looked at before. 
So now let's look at the same recipe again now for the amount of silica, which we, we talked about this one before. This was our number one glaze. Whiting again, Custafelsbar and EPK. So and I, meant, I think we mentioned this earlier on, but I'm repeating it now because now we're gonna talk about, look at the amount of silica and how it affects the texture of the glaze. And I re, I'm, re, I'm repeating myself, but I wanted to also mention it as a separate category. So we mentioned that there's the flux, there's the flux, there's the stabilizer. Where's our silica? Where's our third category? Well, there is some, there is some silica in the Custer-Feldspar and there is some in the EPK, but not a lot. So there's a chance that this is, if this is low in silica, it's gonna be matte, very matte, and it is. Okay, so now let's go to, now let's talk about the, the category of unusual ingredients. You look at a glaze recipe and you go, whoa, what is that stuff? And what could it be doing to the glaze? So here's an example. Minoshino, cone 10, nepheline cyanide, 60%, spodumene, that's lithium aluminate, or lithium aluminum silicate, and alumina hydrate, okay? This is the stuff, the same stuff that's used in like kiln wash and shelf wash. Well, one thing, the minute, and so that's the unusual ingredient, alumina hydrate in the glaze, and 30% is a lot. So one thing to know is that alumina hydrate doesn't melt, ever. Okay, which is why we use it as kiln wash, because it resists melting, it resists things. So it's gonna float around in the glaze. And also, nepheline cyanide, that's, this is my powdered rock, and there is some silica in there, and there is some silica in here. So this is the flux, that's sodium. This is the flux, that's lithium. But where's, and, and a little bit of silica, but, but, and so where's, you know, where's my, I don't, but I don't have much silica. So this is probably gonna be really dry, really matte, and it is. Okay, because this stuff is just gonna float around in there like an opacifier, it's not gonna do much of anything. So it's gonna make it a really dry, and there isn't much silica, so it's not gonna be glassy at all. It's gonna be a really kind of dry, matte um, uh, glaze. And I'm not sure, I'm not sure, with that amount of alumina hydrate, I'm not sure why you even need the bentonite, but maybe they like the color. Okay. Cone 6 lichen glaze, here's another one, magnesium carbonate, there's an unusual ingredient, nepheline cyanide, yeah, we're used to seeing that in OM4 ball clay. So magnesium, you look at that, you say, well, okay, that's a flux, magnesium carbonate, nepheline cyanide, I'm getting some sodium from that, so there's my fluxes. I've got ball clay, so that's giving me some aluminum oxide, my stabilizer, and I'm getting some silica from here, nepheline cyanide, but not a lot, not a lot of silica. So. But the unusual ingredient is magnesium carbonate. The main reason why magnesium carbonate is added to a glaze is when you heat it up, it breaks down and changes and gives off carbon dioxide and changes to magnesium oxide and it shrinks like crazy. So the main reason to put it in a glaze is that it causes this, this, this shrinking and cracking and the alligator texture. So it's used in cone six glazes, cone 10 glazes, raku glazes, as it, it gives this, this, this alligator texture, this cracked appearance to the glaze, okay? So this is gonna have, the, we know, the, that's, and that's why they're calling it lichen. I left, the, I left the clue in the title here this time, because it's gonna give you that cracked, kind of crawled appearance to the glaze, okay? And it's gonna be, it's gonna be very dry, it has, it has very little silica in it, so it's gonna sort of be, it's, lichen's a good name for it, it's gonna be sort of dried, cracked appearance, okay? Um, and I'm not sure why, again, you'd need the, the zircopat. That's an opacifier, because the magnesium carbonate is gonna make it white also. So I'm not sure why you need the zircopat. This is the kind of thing where, if you're interested, it'd be interesting to make it up with and without the zircopat and see if you see any difference. I, I, don't, I don't know whether the zircopat would be necessary in this case. 
But that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't stop somebody from putting it there. Okay, here's another one, peach shino. Content, sodium carbonate, spodumene, nephilene cyanide, bulk APK. So the sodium carbonate's a little unusual because remember, one of the sort of semi-cardinal rules of, of glaze chemistry is that you generally don't want ingredients in a glaze that dissolve in water because then when the glaze dries, they tend to migrate with the water. So you've done this really careful job of mixing all of your ingredients, and then when the glaze dries, they segregate back out. So it kind of defeats the purpose. But in this case, so this is a clue, the fact that, that this, is probably, this is probably intended for carbon trapping. Because, and this is, and the, the, it's the sodium carbonate that provides the carbon trapping. It, when this, if this is fired in heavy reduction, Early in the firing, when you produce heavy reduction and you get soot generated in the kiln, the soot penetrates actually into the dried, powdered, this is long before the glaze melts, the soot penetrates into the, the layer of powdered glaze and even into the clay. And then the sodium carbonate, as the temperatures increase, the sodium carbonate melts and seals that carbon in. It can't, it can't cook it back out of the glaze. And then when the rest of the fluxes melt, the carbon is still there, so you end up with carbon trapping. So and this, this, is a reason, this is a fair amount, but that's a reasonable amount for carbon trapping. So the minute I see this, this is probably, that's what this is intended for. This is a carbon trapping chino. Okay? Okay. And this is another, this is, I, this is one of Pete Pinnell's glaze. I, 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 I edited out his title so you wouldn't, it wouldn't give you more clues as to what it is. So let's look at the ingredients. Lithium carbonate. Nephilene cyanide, a lot of nephilene cyanide, strontium carbonate, bulk clay, silica. That's pretty normal stuff. Um, this, is, this is a fairly low temperature flux, a little bit, nephilene cyanide, strontium carbonate. So when I see nephilene cyanide 60%, I probably assume that, yeah, with, and a little, and this is a low temperature flux. To me, that sort of confirms, okay, it probably is a cone six glaze. But now titanium dioxide and silicon carbide, two and a half percent. So like, what's that stuff in there for? I mean, you know, I thought you made shelves out of it. Kiln shelves, right? Well, you do. But the point is, silicon carbide, when you put it in a high temperature glaze, like cone six or cone 10, it actually oxidizes and it changes to silica. The and silicon carbide reacts, the carbon goes off and you end up with silica and it produces carbon dioxide gas bubbles. And the, and the bubbles come up through the glaze and, and create a, sort of a crater look. And so you get this lava look. So that's basically is this is this is basically a lava glaze. The silicon carbide it doesn't come up, it comes up at very high temperatures when the glaze is fluid and thick, and it bubbles up and produces this bubbling sort of lava-like look to the glaze. So that's what it is. So this is that's what that's in there. That's in there on purpose to sort of produce gas bubbles at high temperature, and give it this this melted fluid look. So it's a, it's a lava glaze, if you want to call it that, or a it's also called crater, crater glazes because it produces this sort of boiling oatmeal look to the top of the glaze, okay? Okay, and the last thing, let's look at some, some potentially unsafe ingredients. So we got barium carbonate, 23, the minute I see that, I go, whoa, wait a minute, stop, but okay, let's keep going. Lithium carbonate, nepheline cyanide, grolic kaolin. Grolic is just an English kind of kaolin. It's a nice, fairly pure kaolin and silica and copper carbonate. And this is cone, this is like, it says it's cone six to seven. Well, okay, it's, it's got a lot of nepheline cyanide in it, which we know is kind of a mid, can be a mid-range thing. And it's got some lower temperature flux in it. Um, so it's probably, but it's got a lot of barium carbonate in it. Um, 
And so, and also now let's look at our, our categories. Flux stabilizes glass formers. Barium carbonate, that's a high temperature flux. Lithium carbonate, that's a low temperature flux. Nephilim cyanide is kind of mid-range to high. So it probably is, I look at it and go, well, it's probably, with these in here, it's probably a cone six to cone seven. Um, and it's got my clay. It doesn't have a lot of silica again. That's, that doesn't contain any silica. That doesn't contain any silica. That contains a little, that contains some, but not a lot. So again, I look at that and I go, well, I look at my three categories. It's probably a matte glaze. Well, because it, it doesn't have a lot of glass to actually, it's got fluxes, but not a lot of stuff to make. So it probably is matte, and it is. So then, if so, if it's a matte glaze, and now it's got this much barium carbonate in it, and this, and this, I'm not sure why you would need that much barium carbonate at, at cone six to seven. Barium carbonate is also used sometimes as a color enhancer, especially with copper. You can get, you, it sort of intensifies the colors you get. I'm, I'm frankly, I'm just, I just don't know whether you would need that much to get the same effect. But with low, a matte glaze and that much barium carbonate and this much, almost 3% copper, I'm guessing that it's probably not food safe. And so maybe, what I'm curious about is, maybe you could get away with less barium carbonate and still get the same color response. I'm not sure why you need that much barium carbonate in the glaze to get the color response you do. But looking at it, it's probably gonna be matte and, it's pro and it may not be, and it is mad, as a matter of fact, and it, I don't know that it's been tested, but it, there's a good chance it's probably not food safe either. With that amount of barium and a matte glaze, there's nothing to tie the barium to keep it into the glaze. Okay? Okay. And lastly, we're gonna go back to our number, and we touched on this before, but I'm bringing it up under this different category of potentially safe, unsafe ingredients. This was our number one green again. Whiting, Felsberg, and copper carbonate, 5%. And again, I mentioned that this is, again, we were looking at, well, where's the silica in here? So this is probably matte, and it is. So with a matte glaze and this much copper, there's a good chance it's not food safe. Okay? Okay, so this is meant to be, as I mentioned at the beginning of the talk, this, these are not you know, strict facts, but this is, these are, a lot of times, these clues that you get by looking at the recipe will tell you what, what, you know, help you predict what the glaze might look like. So if you're looking, if you're looking for, for instance, when I was looking for a glaze for color response, the minute I see zinc, if I'm looking for a base glaze that I want to add colorants to, I would say, well, I'm gonna look for, instead for a glaze that doesn't contain zinc, if I'm looking for sort of a broad range of color response. Or if I'm looking for, you know, a, a glaze that has a, a, a wide firing range, I'm probably not gonna pick a glaze that only has one flux. So I can, get some general, I can get some general ideas about some, how some of these glazes perform. Well, we hope that this discussion has been useful today for you. And we know that this was a lot of information probably presented in one time. But if you, so if you'd like to hear it again, you can listen to our podcast version of this presentation. Just look for the Potter's Roundtable on your favorite podcast platform. If you enjoyed the presentation, please like it and subscribe to our channel and share it with your friends and other potters. This helps our videos get found on YouTube. If you didn't like it, tell us why and let it, maybe, we can, maybe we can adjust that in the future. Also, check out our website, www.hfclay.com. Finally, we wanna thank our patrons, our growing number of patrons, for supporting our educational efforts, such as these videos. If you'd like to help us and consider becoming a patron, go to patreon.com and look for the Potter's Roundtable. The next topic in the series is going to be 
a, a discussion of the firing procedure for gas, gas reduction kilns. So thank you for visiting with us today. We hope to see you again in the future. The Potter's Roundtable is brought to you by Washington Street Studios and our patrons. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe, give us a five-star review, and tell your friends. If you want to learn more about Washington Street Studios and shared studio memberships, please visit our website at www.hfclay.com. Thank you, and we'll see you again next time on the Potter's Roundtable.